Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Good afternoon, everybody. Evening, morning, what is it where you guys are? Anyways, welcome back to The Haunted Estate. My name is Selena Myers. You should know that by now. And if you don't, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. That's what gets us up and rolling in those charts. Share us with your friends, rate and review us, like us, hate us, whatever. It all matters. I actually have a cool announcement for you guys. Not even really an announcement, something really fun. As you all know, I did write a book called The Home Reader, A Paranormal Journey. It is for sale on Amazon. Unfortunately, I had paid the same person to edit it and kind of submit it for me. She didn't do a great job on editing. So as a bit of a surprise and a really fun thing for you guys, for the next few episodes, I'm going to be doing a chapter of my book in every single podcast. Um, a lot of people have asked me for the audio version. You'd think I'd have that up on Audible. I, I've tried a few times, but I get like seven hours into recording and I just give up and then the file gets lost. So what and so forth. So for the next seven, eight episodes, it's going to be chapters from my book. I promise it is full of spooky delights and you are absolutely going to love it. But first, I want to talk about the happiest place on earth. No, I do not mean Disney World. I mean Fear Farm. That is a wonderful place that I got to work at last year. It is, I'm not even kidding, the best haunt in all of Canada. I have been to everything um, in Ontario, a little bit over the sides of the border. Nothing is like this place. And when I found out I got the chance to be there, I was like, no way. So this year, there's six amazing haunts for one low price. There's Condemned Corn, Hillbilly Hike, The Hayride, Hiller House, Carnival, and The Stocking Dead. So that's two different cornfields, a hayride, carnival, which is terrifying. Do you love clowns slash hate clowns slash love to be terrified? That's amazing. My number one is Hiller House. You will die. It's the best. Also, if you do happen to be there and you see a scary ghoul in a black and white dress, you know that's me. Grab me, takes pictures with me. Uh, make sure to upload to Instagram. Tag Fear Farm, Snyder's Family Farm. During the day, they are a fantastic, kid-tastic, farm-tastic environment for everyone of all ages. And then at night is that fantastic 
beer. So September 22nd is the opening weekend and you guys better be there. It's going to be the coolest night, um, aka uh, they have amazing food last year. Okay, I just want to tell you really quickly, I had a whoopie pie. They are like cake with cream cheese icing inside. You get like chocolate or pumpkin. And sometimes they were sold out and I couldn't get one. But I'd order two from the ride home and I would just fat girl pig out the entire time. So head over to fearfarm.ca to find directions, pricings, and to get your tickets. Duh. So worth it. Absolutely love it. Also, don't forget to call our toll-free phone number and share your scary ghost story. That's 1-877-260-3428. Not to mention, Fear Farm will be sponsoring the podcast. So coming in the next few weeks, closer to Halloween, calling in, you will have a chance to win tickets to Fear Farm. Of course, it's going to be awesome. You don't want to miss it. And it is worth traveling. I know I have a lot of listeners kind of in the five-hour our range from here it's worth the drive get a hotel come say hey have a fun time it will blow your mind so without further ado let's get into the first chapter of my book okay this is gonna be super weird believe it or not i don't have an actual copy of the book so i'm reading the master copy off my computer so the home reader a paranormal journey read and written by Selena Myers. I've always wanted to say that, like at the beginning of Audible. So first I want to tell you guys a little inscription on the second page in. So it has a giant semicolon, and then it says, a portion of your purchase of this book will be donated to mental health services in Woodstock, Ontario. Our little town has suffered a large amount of teen suicide recently. A semicolon in used what is used when a writer chooses to pause instead of ending a sentence. If you're reading this and find yourself in a dark place, please reach out even to me. Your story is not supposed to end yet. Taken and based on true events, all names, locations have been changed to protect those involved. Then all the copyright fun stuff. And then the dedication. I dedicate this book to my dear friend Rodney Tranter and my husband Adam Myers. For these two, I am forever grateful. Their kindness has been such an inspiration. The world needs more people like them. So, chapter one, the beginning. Within the years of our lives, we are often lost in the journey to find ourselves. We search and explore for our spirits to be flushed out by adults telling us who we are to be. We are so often told what we are, who we are, what we see, that we forget who we've become. Despite a constant wave of people applauding or hating us for who we may project, there's always a moment in our lives that we realize we are different. The first time that I realized that I, Selena Myers, was different was as a small child. It seemed to be something that my parents had known for years. Although that could be dismissed as a parent's tendency to see their child as special. On that particular day, I remember the warm feeling of excitement. I was going to my friend Tessa's house to stay the night. Once I had arrived, six-year-old Selena devoured her surroundings in an energetic fever of curiosity. My questions piled higher the more of her life and home I examined. Perhaps I had explored it to see what normal was. Everything seemed different. How odd I found it that my friend didn't use all her stuffed animals like a shield around her bed. Even though she was familiar, her routines and little details of her life were foreign and unfamiliar. At home, 
each and every night to this day, I would sleep with my sheets tucked as high as possible, the light on, no matter the heat in the room, I was not allowed a foot to slide out of the sheets. The bed had to be in the middle, headboard had to be against the north wall, no matter how uncomfortable I was. I had to sleep on my side, facing the doors. Not to mention that all of my stuffed animals had to be arranged just right. All of these actions made me feel comfortable. Not for resting, but they made the fear dissipate. At six, I knew there were people in the walls. Sometimes it would be a little girl who would poke me when I slept. Other times it would be other spirits. This was not going to be something that others would understand, but this was my reality. The stuffed animals would block her eyes that looked over the side of the bed. The wall of stuffed animals created a barrier high enough to block the eerie gaze of the people that would emerge from the two-foot strip of wall between my closets. As I grew older and more conscious of the world around me, I noticed that these things were not normal, and with that realization of my exceptionality, I was smothered by conformity. (laughs) It had been that distinct sleepover that had sparked a series of realizations, that I was different. My distinct talent started to fade, and like so many others, I became addicted to the disguise of being normal. A large part of my identity was formed in my family home. My parents had perched a newly built Dutch colonial house in 1990. It had been built barely six months ago, and as soon as my parents laid eyes on it, they were sold. They were lucky too. The market had drastically changed, allowing them to sell the semi that they had made their home for the past decade for something much better. They had the intention of settling into a home, not just buying a house. They dreamed of a house on a large street with an abundance of joyful neighborhood kids scurrying about. My mom was five months pregnant with me, so there was an urgency to take advantage of the situation while they could. The family who had built the home were hesitant to leave it. However, my parents made it work. One thing that didn't work in their favor was the supernatural. The circumstances before my birth and the reoccurrence of the bizarre and sometimes unexplainable things over the course of my life had led me to believe in the existence of something more. At the time just before my birth, shortly after my mom and dad settled into the house, small dresser drawers and picture frames would be moved or pulled out from the walls as if someone was playing a trick on my parents. More little things started to happen. Chiming musical sounds filled the house at odd hours of the day, My mother dismissed them as the sound of wind chimes and the summer breeze. It continued to fill the house daily, but as as the colder weather approached, the sound would be smothered by the shut windows and humming furnace. The first cold day of October arrived. The windows were shut firmly, rendering the house silent. My mother was folding the laundry on her bed. Yet again, out of the dead silence, came a soft chime-like music. Looking Over her shoulder at the door, she remembered that the windows were shut, so there could be no residual noise coming from outside. The furnace was also off. Now the music was clearer and sharper. Its sound became a soft kind of melody that leaked from a music box. She made her way towards the noise, navigating the new house, which was somewhat difficult. The house was large, and when you turned out of the master bedroom, you entered a hallway that had a large open expanse that stretched from the first floor to the second. The stairs came up on the left. 
and an oversized chandelier hung in the middle. From the floor to the ceiling was a space of nearly 30 feet. She slid down the stairs quietly, went around the right of the stairs, taking slow steps, trying not to make a sound. At the end of this hallway, there was an Eden kitchen, but before that were short halls on each side, making a T-shaped intersection. One of those halls led to the family room, while the other held a basement door as well as a living room and dining room. My mother went to the right, into the family room, but quickly knew the sound didn't originate from there. She looked back through the door and stared into the opposite hallway. The space in front of the basement door is what held her attention. It was as if dust was catching the light. Have you ever seen the way some dust will sparkle when a stream of light is passing through a window and hits it in the right way? The difference here is that there was no light. It was evening, and the particles of dust were ten times that of a normal speck. A few months after I was born, my dad was carrying me down the large open hallway. He was looking down at my small face when he noticed my eyes were following something erratically. Glancing up, he saw a ball of light bouncing from wall to wall, which was changing size and speed. He wasn't sure how to respond to this, so he just went into the living room and tried to forget. A few months later, they had no choice but to realize something was unnatural. It was the middle of the night when my mom heard soft coos of a baby beside her bed. I had just started to crawl. My dear mother turned on her bedside lamp to see me on the floor beside her. Somehow, someone or something had taken me out of my crib. I have crawled my way to my parents' room. After that, things settled for a few years. It was a memory that had finally settled into the recesses of their minds. Life had settled into a mundane sort of rhythm. My father worked the afternoon shift every two weeks. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. He would come home late one night and was making his way up the stairs when he suddenly heard three-year-old me talking in my bedroom. He popped open the door to see me sitting straight up in bed. I had turned my head silently and looked at him. Who are you talking to? He had said to me. I've been told that that night, I said I was talking to the people in my wall. Instead of investigating, my father had a nope moment and promptly closed the door and didn't tell me about this incident until I was 23 years old. Learning that story was a huge part of why I'm writing this now. I thought the people from my walls were just a figment of creative imagination, but it turned out to be something more. 
A few nights later was the moment that changed everything. My mother was readying herself for a small errand. Turning after she heard a noise, she saw as clear as day, or as solid as you and I, a child standing under the kitchen table. The girl was about four years old, sporting a page boy haircut and a white nightgown that reached her knees. All the other things she could pass off as some kind of coincidence or mistake, maybe a trick of light, but this was a little girl who was standing under the table. She then disappeared into thin air. For months, I had been talking about a little girl named Mary. She was the one who would poke me through my walls of stuffed animals. The one who would play pranks I would get the blame for. My mother called the local historian and a family friend. His family had been named one of the founders of this little town. Over the past few days, she had come to the realization that all these events happened did seem prankish and childish, something that a little girl might do. On the Saturday before this historian came, my parents took me to the Western Fair in London, Ontario. It was the first time I had been to such a magical place. As a souvenir, I had gotten a large red balloon to take home. As soon as we walked in the front door, I had lost hold of said balloon and it floated right up into the large open space of the front hallway. There was absolutely no way of getting it down. My mom thought as the helium broke down, it would make its way back down to the first floor. That evening, she awoke. Somehow, the current of the air conditioner, the balloon had made its way into her room. That could be a perfect logical idea, but the fact that the balloon had landed directly on her face was strange. She reached for the bedside lamp and flicked the switch. Sitting up, she had pushed the balloon away with enough force to send it across the room, but it quickly bounced back. There was resistance at the end of the string, like something was holding it in place. She got up abruptly in a panic, unable to understand. Then she ripped the balloon from unseen hands, but the tension was gone. After that, she shut the balloon in her closet and fell back asleep. That Sunday, the same kitchen table the little girl was standing under was currently covered from corner to corner with old blueprints and land maps. The historian had a general idea of what had been on the land before the house was built. He went over a brief history of the land that our family home was built on. In the late 1800s, a small farmhouse sat directly where our large home now resided. The family who lived in this house owned the many dozens of acres that surrounded it, They were the Nellis family. The Nellis family was influential to the city of Woodstock. They had given land for a farmer's market on Nellis Street and also donated land for a cemetery where you can now find their their plots on Van Sitter Ave. Since they were an influential family, the historian had many files and some pictures of the family. First, my mother learned that two of their daughters died of scarlet fever in the 1800s. The picture the historian brought out of the folder to show my mother was of a large family. The look of shock and disbelief took over my mother's features. It was a little girl she saw under the table in our kitchen. She was sitting cross-legged in the picture over over a century ago. She pointed at the little girl and the man said her name was Mary Agnes Nellis. Mary had died of a child, had died as a child in that home of scarlet fever With this realization, she felt she didn't have to fear the strange things that happened. This was just a little girl stuck somewhere between the living and the dead. It seemed that when we knew and accepted who she was, it all began to fade. Things still happened, but they were slower and weaker. 
By the time I was seven years old, all the events like this had stopped until I hit puberty. I remember being a preteen and feeling like I couldn't tell anyone about the things I had started to see, hear, feel, and smell. At such a tender age, I already knew how this news would be received. Confessing that I was hearing voices and seeing things would condemn me socially. Everything I was seeing was more and more each and every day. I found myself seeing something different. I doubted myself until I could doubt no more. It became a cycle of disbelief and discomfort with my distinct reality. From home to the grocery store, every day would be different. One day, while getting ready for gym class, something frightened me. It was a man. He was just there. I didn't call out because I didn't know if other people had seen him, too. I would look crazy, even though I knew I wasn't. It was a difficult situation. I looked over at the man, who continually paced. He walked seven foot forward and back. Back and forth. Back and forth. Just like he was engrossed in thought. That's when I noticed that I couldn't tell his height from the torso down. His body was submerged into the ground. That's when I knew what I was saying was not normal. He had shoulder-length dark curly hair, a beard, and a brown overcoat. His eyes were glazed with a hand over his mouth. He was completely unaware of the world around him. That's when I decided to see if I was alone in what I saw. I overcame my fear of ridicule out of curiosity, stunned at what I had seen. I looked over to two other girls in the change room. Hey, I paused as I got their attention. The girls looked over. The shorter one caught my gaze. Hi, how are you? She said. The other one continued to fold her shorts into her gym bag. Good, I said. Um, I don't know how to ask this, but have you seen a guy in here? The girl looked up at me attentively from her gym bag and clutched her towel to her chest. The shorter girl looked quizzically at her friend and then at me. No, I don't think so, she shrugged. I sighed. They didn't see them. The spirit continued on its journey to and fro. He didn't notice any of us. People walked through him and his features wouldn't change. I exited the change room in fright. (laughs) I was stuck seeing things others could not, and I needed to figure out what this was. Until then, for the remainder of my school days, I would always change in the bathroom. That wouldn't be until I was older. I would know what I had seen was a perfect display of residual energy. Another day in class, I was copying a note from the chalkboard when I noticed a shadow starting to bend over me. The young student teacher had been assigned to our class, had continued to preach the knowledge at the front of the class. All while, I started to feel the warm exhale of breath on my shoulder and thought nothing of it. It could have been someone passing by for all I knew. Another ten minutes passed when I suddenly felt lingering eyes upon my back. The warm breath became more pronounced, heavier, hotter, deeper. With a quick glance, I saw no one was there. My heart quickened. My eyes darted across the room and searched frantically for the source of the air. My teacher was sitting at her desk to the left of me. The student teacher was at a table directly to the side. It could be a student pranking me, I thought to myself. I needed to double-check without being called out for fidgeting or being sent to the hall. I slowly moved my head to the right, praying that this was just a strange mouth-breathing student and not something else. I looked to the floor first and saw a pair of pink 
patent leather shoes. Followed up with nylon-covered legs to find a very tiny woman dressed completely in pink from head to toe, all the way down to her pink-painted nails. I focused on her happy-looking, wrinkled face. I was unaware if this was a real person or one of them. Hello, she croaked out of her pink lip-stained lips. The prudish wrinkles of her face curved into a wide, toothless smile, the kind that makes you feel bubbly on the inside. Hi, I said back. I had to say hi back, however, I would come to regret it later. How I would look was not a concern of mine. A flutter of surprise passed by the woman's face when I said hi. She looked more shocked than I. You can hear me then, the words came out of her mouth, using a very strange tone. It sounded warped and distant, like someone speaking out of a tube from a mile away. It was like the notes and chords of her voice were melting into one, of an, into one another in a way that made the words barely audible. I shook my head and was still looking around at everyone, hoping that this was somehow a real person, but no one around me was looking at all. I knew that this really pink lady really stuck out. If she was real, everyone would be glaring and laughing. I started mouthing my mantra to myself on repeat while staring at her, but she wasn't disappearing. The happy look that had come to her face when I noticed that I could see her was fading quickly into a deep frown. For most of my teen years, I had decided to just keep things to myself. I found if I kept my mind busy and repeated the mantra, it's not real if you don't want to be, things would stay a lot quieter at school. Unfortunately, the mantra only seemed to work at school. Nights in the odd apparition, like this, were a different game. Guilt was taking over, and the realization that these people could actually see and talk to me was extremely overwhelming. I usually just watched their lives unfold. It was only sometimes I would catch one looking right at me, but no one had ever muttered a word directly to me. As much as I wanted her to disappear, I knew that there was more to this situation. The pink lady's arm rose, and I followed her stumpy finger. She was pointing to the young student teacher. Looking back, her mouth open. Slowly, cigarette-filled breath filled my face. I need you to tell her to take the trip, and that I have Skittles with me. Her arm lowered as her mouth was moving. A smile crossed her face, and she walked noiselessly behind me and followed the back wall that was plastered with our artwork. She exited the room, passing through the closed door effortlessly. It took me days of deciding to finally come up with the nerve to approach the student teacher. It had been three days when I saw her alone in the corner of the courtyard at recess. I had decided to approach. I knew the best way to this was to just spill it all out fast before she had the chance to interrupt. I walked to her quickly and spilled out the contents of the conversation that had been haunting me. The teacher's cheeks turned pink. Warm droplets of tears collected at the corner of her eyes. I soon found out that the pink lady was her great-grandmother. Our student teacher started to bawl. She explained how the clothing I had described was exactly what her great-grandmother was wearing when she had passed, and the name Skittles was referring to the teacher's 11-year-old Siamese cat that had passed two weeks ago. The comment she shared about the trip was a gift from her boyfriend, but she was always scared of planes. It had been seven years since her great-grandmother was laid to rest, but their bond was so close. 
She had never connected with any other relative in that way. I was blown away that what I had saw had made any sense to her, let alone be verified to be true. There was no way I would have known anything about her life. Oddly enough, I was overcome with relief. Finally, I was able to tell someone the things that were going on. My student teacher assured me that I wasn't sick, that sometimes people are just born different with what she called gifts. She said that there were ways to control them if I wanted to, and also ways to shut them off. The following week, she had brought me a book and discussed just that. I can't start to explain how much that teacher had done for me, how she impacted my future, just telling me that these weren't things to fear. My teen years were full of difficulties and strife. At the age 12, my mother's multiple sclerosis had reared its ugly head. Life was full of hospital visits. These visits would often be accented with urgency, some kind of urgency that came from my deteriorating relationship with my father. Engrossed in stress and alienation, anger blocked out whatever comfort I had. I would hear small fragmented sentences floating about as I walked through the hospital halls. The words were disembodied from the people that they had come from. I would randomly see things walking around my house or standing in the middle of the street in clothing that could date from any time, but usually the 1980s, weirdly. I started to resonate with them in the way they look lost, the way their eyes would glaze over as if they were, reliv- as if they were reliving the best and worst memories in their minds. It seemed as soon as I had forgotten about them, something would happen to just assure me that this would never fade with age. It wasn't until a few years later I was really able to get a handle on exactly what I was experiencing. At age 15, after changing high schools twice, not making friends and being picked on so violently that the police had been called several times because I wore a lot of black, I decided being alive was just too much. People didn't take kindly to girls who only dressed in black and had changed schools so many times in her first semester of grade 9. I had found myself leaving the public high school and transferring to a Catholic school. I was hoping that the plaid uniforms would help me blend into my surroundings. Regrettably, that was not the case. With the decision that I needed to end my life, I ended up at the Woodstock General Hospital. I had quickly become a staple in the wing, in the dark wing of our local hospital, making friends with all the nurses and the other teen girls like me who had attempted the same by swallowing prescription drugs that they could find. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Others have propped their legs on chairs and casts and taking a jump that they thought would land them anywhere but here. Being only 15, I was not allowed to join the group counseling, so I spent my days sitting on the couch in the common room. I didn't opt for the TV and decided to just invest my time into staring at my surroundings. It was kind of a reminder of the outside world. The room was sizable and beige, like the rest of the hospital. 
full of windows blocked by vast old trees and graded with cast iron bars to discourage us from trying again. The common room sat promptly at the end of the wing's hall, letting its inhabitants watch the daily activities. I realized that if I focused really hard on one spot of the chipping beige paint for a few minutes, the world around me would start to change. The spot would get fuzzy around the edges, and my mind would see the wing of the hospital kind of in another time. Sometimes it would just be one side of the hall, or for just a few seconds, but the longer I worked at it, the clearer it became. On one particular day, I stared at a 40-year-old woman who had been admitted for the past two months. She was working on a portrait at one of the three coffee tables at the left of me. I was broken out of my concentration by her question. "'What exactly are you doing?' she said, patiently. It was a curious question. I knew that she was catching on to my strangeness. She was almost always in the room when I was. I explained, telling her that I had just seen the hallway in another light, as if it was early morning. I told her how a very tiny man in a Boston Bruins sweater had come out of the third room on the left dragging a very oversized teddy bear. I laughed when mentioning it because I sounded 100% insane and I knew it. Well, that's Randy. He left a week before you came. I sat perplexed. She wasn't shocked. I knew that she was only there because of because her depression had led her to swallow all of her daughter's antidepressants. After coming to the conclusion that what I saw was real and not an illness, I learned to trust myself. I learned that I needed to trust what I did and didn't see. I could let the other people gaslight me. I had explained to the doctor the experiences I had, how I had gotten them validated by the people reaching out. He had seemed more impressed than anything, and after our conversations, he didn't think I had any kind of schizophrenia whatsoever. The doctor had said that I was there because I was suffering from depression in the first place, not because of ghosts. The ward was a fantastic place to practice my gift. It was a controlled environment. In a place like the wing, there was a lot of residual energy. People came here during the hardest times of their lives, so there were large memories expressed and left behind. This was also the time I started to comprehend that they weren't always dead people I was seeing. I had quickly learned that 90% of the time it was memories I was seeing, not lost souls. Don't get me wrong, I've seen a lot of the ghostly variety. The ghosts are what I can't control to this day. The spirits that I see are usually solid, as you or I. I don't get to choose to see them or even have the ability to call on them. They don't always speak to me either. A lot of the time, they don't notice anything around them. They're so deep in thought, it seems like they're just reliving unfinished business. Only sometimes do they search me out or notice me noticing them. During my stay in the hospital, I had a lot of time to think, but I never could have imagined how my life would revolve around this so-called gift. How every situation I put myself in would be affected. It had been a truly beautiful thing, but also became a curse at many other times. I don't like to think of what I do as a gift. It's just who I am. I feel most people tap into abilities like this if they really work at it. I was just born a little better at it. It's like how some people are really good at math. 
I would spend the next few years being a fun party trick and delivering messages to people that I had received from random spirits along the way. I'm 25 years old now, and in this past decade, my gifts have grown and have been studied by many. I have taken part in some high-scale investigations, working with some of the top parapsychologists. I was lucky to be able to travel a lot of North America to travel a lot of North America to help people. Every day I'm learning more and more. I feel I'm extremely lucky, and in the end, I wouldn't want things any other way. I only have one regret. I always worked under pseudonyms and tried to keep what I did separate from my personal life. I always such a I always held such a fear of certain people finding out that employers wouldn't like what they would learn about me on the internet. I respect famous parapsychologists like Ed and Lorraine Warren, but I couldn't live life in the spotlight or take on all that responsibility. Most people working in the paranormal field know that a lot of eccentric people are drawn to the unknown. I just didn't want people to assume I was something that I'm not. I needed to learn to shed the terrible ego I was afraid of. It wasn't until I joined a local paranormal team I found myself having to explain what I did over and over. Then came the worst. Another paranormal team native to the area had decided to blast our team all over the internet. (laughs) It was as if the group had set out to destroy all of us personally because we had come onto her turf. It was, to this day, the most disrespected and personally attacked I'd ever felt. I could have told her the life I lived, the places I had been, the people I had worked with, but I couldn't expect them to listen to anything, so I tried not to acknowledge them. In that moment, I decided I would change how I went about everything. The secrecy that I had come to love and used as a protective blanket was now working against me. I needed my name out there so I could be taken seriously for who I am. I needed to treat myself with respect and embrace who I really am. I'm only 25 years old. Actually, I'm almost 27 now. I just wasn't sure what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I didn't want the paranormal to taint everything I had planned. So much of my life had been emerged in the paranormal. I didn't think that was who I wanted to be. I was wrong. I didn't realize that that was right in front of me. I didn't realize that what was right in front of me was what I needed to learn to accept. I might have played with the idea before, but the truth is that this is my life. It's who I am and who I will always be. I don't know what my future holds, but I can only hope that this book and sharing my experiences and thought will only open more doors. This book is a collection of my experiences, the investigations I have been called into, and my thoughts on what comes next. I hope you enjoy Selena Myers, the host of the Haunted Estate podcast, www.thehauntedestate.com. So everyone, that is the first chapter of my book, The Home Reader, Paranormal Journey. I hate reading the master copy um, because it was sent back to me and like every page there's errors. And I feel like it was better when I sent it to her. Ugh. Anyways, don't buy it. Listen to it here. I'm going to be putting out the chapters as soon as I can. 
I absolutely love you guys. Please don't forget to check out fearfarm.ca. I really want to meet everybody this season at Fear Farm. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. So don't forget to visit our website, thehauntedestate.com. And I love you. Have a great spooky evening. I went yard sailing and I bought creepy stuff. Okay, love you. Don't forget to call our toll-free phone number, 1-877-260-3428, or shoot me an email, selena at thehauntedestate.com. Peace out. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can live out your MasterChef dream. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.